Good evening, ladies. How are you? My name is Lisa Palmer, and I'm a part of the teaching team here at LifePoint Church. And honored to stand here and share God's word with you, which I know you got a lot out of in your discussion groups tonight. So we're in week eight, those who minister and build. This week, we will turn our attention to the people who will serve as the caregivers and builders of this beautiful temple, which is God's tabernacle. God now shifts his focus from the things to people, examining the role of the priesthood in the life of the tabernacle, the role of the builders and the craftspeople in its construction. During our fall study, we were introduced to the family lineage of both Aaron and Moses. And we found that in Exodus chapter 6, verses 14 through 17, starting with their great-grandfather, Levi. Then we find out their father's name is Amran, who marries his aunt, Joshebed. We hear of their uncles and their cousins, but we also get to meet Aaron's wife. Elisheba, and their four sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. I don't know if anybody knows any Ithamars. <laughs> These individuals will comprise the first priestly line appointed by our intentional God to serve him in his tabernacle, a place that he designed to meet with the Israelite nation. But unbeknownst to them, this was a foreshadowing of God's plan and purpose for the ultimate high priest to make a one and done atoning sacrifice that will reconcile us to God, thereby providing redemption, identification as a royal priesthood, and eternal life for us. Some of you may be familiar with the hymn, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Jesus could make us whole again with God our Father. Not a ram, not a bull, but the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you. Exodus chapter 28, we start talking about the priestly garments. God instructs Moses to take Aaron and his sons so that, quote, they may minister to me as priest. This phrase is repeated four times by God, and it explicitly conveys what their role is. Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy also mention this as well. When we think of the word minister as a verb, it means to serve to attend to the needs of someone. But when we think of a minister as a noun, it's an ordained spiritual leader who holds prayer services, preaches to people in the church, leads worship services on holy days, and they teach. Old Testament priests, their duties would have included sacrificing at the altar, worshiping at the shrine, blessing people, determining the will of God by use of Urim and Thummim, instructing people in the law of God, and also performing sacred rites 
acting as a mediatory agent between God and man, and interceding on the behalf of the people to God. The priest came directly from Aaron's line, and the other Levites, they assisted the priest in the tabernacle, but they could not offer sacrifices. Priests were supposed to, were supported by offerings, and the Levites were supported by the tithes. And God mandates that the Israelites bring both tithes and offering to his tabernacle. Does it sound familiar to you? Because we're also supposed to do that same thing even in our day, bringing all the tithes and offerings to the church. Other names ascribed to priests would be preacher, bishop, minister, pastor, and reverend. As you may already know, our God is a detail-oriented God. And some of the ladies in our group were talking about that tonight, detail-oriented. When I heard that, I was like, <laughs> you're on point. The extravagant and intricate design of the priestly garments were complementary to the tabernacle, its furnishings, and the utensils, all which truly displayed God's glory and his beauty. God provides Moses with instructions on the priest's attire, signifying to the Israelites their position and their role as they ministered in his tabernacle. These garments were to be worn by Aaron and his sons for glory and for beauty. There was no mistaking who the priest represented as they worked tirelessly in the tabernacle. The pieces identified were the ephod, the breastplate of judgment, which contained the urim and thummim, the robe, the turban with the gold plate, the tunic, linen trousers, sashes, and hats. The ephod, and you all have a uh, diagram on your sheets here that shows the garments, the priestly garments, okay? So you can take a look at that when you get a chance and look up the scriptures and do some more reading. But the ephod had black onyx stones, and that's what stood out to me. They were on the shoulders. And on those stones were inscribed the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. And they went in birth order, and it went from left to right. Okay, and if you think of um, Hebrew Bibles, they go from left to right. If you've ever read one, it goes from the back to front. Okay, so it sounds weird, but that's what they did. Um, but these stones had the names of the 12 tribes of Israel inscribed as memorial stones for the sons of Jacob. The breastplate, we learned, contained four rows of precious jewels with the names of the 12 tribes inscribed, there's that word again, as a memorial before the Lord continually. And the Urim and Thummim were held in, in this breastplate of judgment. So you have these names of the 12 tribes. You have the stones. They all have their own specific stone. And even in our group, Somebody mentioned, hey, look, Jesus is the cornerstone. But this sort of, you know, set in place initially before we even knew about Jesus, the stones and how precious they were, and that this was something that was worn by
by the high priest. The breastplate and the ephod were held together by golden rings and golden cords. Girdle, anyone? Girdle, corset, hold you in, hold them together, the pieces so they're not flailing and moving about, but holding them in, holding them together, worn by the high priest. The memorial of the names would be seen by God as the high priest wore them in the most holy place. The priest carried these names before God, just like Jesus carries our names before God, that he lives to make intercession to God on our behalf. He knows Donna, he knows Lindy, he knows Jessica, he knows Shaylin, he knows Denise, he knows Renee. He knows your name, and he carries you before God our Father. The robe was blue, and it had gold belts and pomegranates on the hemline, which made noise and would alert God when the high priest entered the most holy place. And people could hear it as well. But more importantly, God needed to hear it. The high priest wore a turban that had a gold plate, and inscribed on that gold plate was holiness to the Lord. And it was affixed to the front and worn on the head of the high priest. Aaron's sons wore tunics, sashes, hats, and linen trousers. And as I started reading and thinking about all of this that they wore, they put on, and I thought about um, being a young girl in Philadelphia at St. Luke's Episcopal Church on Germantown Avenue. (laughs) And Father Poindexter Well, come on in there, him, and I can't remember the other people. That's all I can give you. It's Father Poindexter. And the regalness of the garb that they wore, the vestments is what they called them. You had the acolytes, and they would put the incense. I don't know the different terms, and they would come in, and they would swing it, and all the smells and everything going on. But just looking at his vestments, their vestments, had no clue, just like, oh, they look good, but I knew who they were. They were Father such and such. And that's what stood out in my head as I read this. Daily, we assemble our attire as we face the world. Although we don't have priestly garments, we do have the Holy Spirit, which indwells us. Holy Spirit enables us by the fruit of the Spirit and the spiritual gifts which God has given us to minister and serve Him first. Right? Him first, holiness to the Lord. First. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 tells us God identifies us as chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's you. We also have the armor of God found in Ephesians chapter 10. Chapter 6, verse 10 through 19, pardon. What pieces of his armor do you tend to leave off? We talk about we need to put it on, but a lot of times we leave some pieces off that need to be put on. How has his armor assisted you in carrying out ministry for him? Which piece of his armor is most meaningful to you? 
So moving on to Exodus chapter 29, now we're getting into the consecration of Aaron and his sons. And this was of utmost importance to God as they prepared to minister to God as priests. Aaron and his sons were appointed to serve God first and foremost. They could say, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Can you? Leviticus chapter 8 and 9, they also expound as well concerning this consecration service that took place. To consecrate, we talked about, means to set apart, you dedicate or you ordain something or someone for God's divine purpose, and it's made holy. In their natural state, as sinful human beings, they were not approved by God to carry out their priestly responsibilities. They needed to complete their consecration process, which took seven days and involved a series of offerings, cleansings, anointing of oil, and eating of those offerings. These practices were commanded by God and had to be carried out. He had to first provide atonement for his priests. God is a just God, as you already know. And he must address sin in all of us. Many of us know Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that says we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's both you and I, Aaron and his sons, Moses, Adam and Eve, right? Our sin separates us from God and creates this barrier. And to remove that barrier, there must be atonement. And sometimes there's been a reference to at one meant atonement or reconciliation, okay? Um, to restore that which is breached. The sacrificial offering was God's means to deal with sinful man and show mercy in extending reconciliation on his terms, not ours. God set the criteria of what was to be offered to him and the Israelites had to obey. When we think of offering, uh, one of the definitions that I had was the physical elements the worshiper brings to God to express devotion, thanksgiving, and the need for forgiveness. The first organized sacrifice took place once the Israelites had left Egypt. The first account of an offering we see in Genesis chapter 4, verses 2 through 8, with Cain and Abel. And we know that Abel had brought a sacrifice or an offering, we use them interchangeably, of his firstborn flock of sheep. And we know that that was pleasing to God, but he wasn't pleased with Cain's sacrifice or his offering. First fruits, when you hear that word first fruits, means it's the best, it's the acceptable, it's the most pleasing to God. A true sacrifice will always cost us something. True sacrifice will cost you something. That's why it's called sacrifice. It's not easy, right? It's not easy. It's easy to give up something you don't want. Getting out of plenty is not a sacrifice. 
It's nice. But do you feel a little struggle? The widow's might shows us that she gave out of what she had, what little she had, and that was acceptable to Jesus. The condition of our heart matters to God when we bring him our offering. We are not to be giving grudgingly. We're to be cheerful givers. Would that describe you? You had an opportunity to discuss the types of offerings that the priest brought during this consecration service. It was comprised of a sin, burnt, way, and peace. I couldn't help but I mean, it came up in our group too, and I was thinking the same thing. The way, you know, we do it at sporting events. This was not that type of wave, it was a back and forth. That object, that item was going back and forth in the hands of the priest. I don't know why, but that's just how it looks. <laughs> Unblemished animals were offered. We see that there was one bull, two rams, two lambs, unleavened bread with oil, wafers, all kinds of things being offered. But God is explicit in what he wants offered to him. The blood from these animals were sprinkled on the altar as well as Aaron and his sons. And I went in a hole on this blood because I had to go in. But life of the flesh is found in the blood. Blood was a cleansing agent sprinkled on that which was defiled. The blood afforded the object or the person God's blessing, his favor, and his forgiveness. And we think about the Passover that we talked about last uh, fall. That Passover taught us that the lamb's blood was placed on the doorposts of the Israelites, that that would preserve them from God's wrath. Again, atonement was costly, and it required blood of the sacrificial animal to be shed. And then in the midst of that, really what's going on is the transference of sin. We're transferring our sin onto that animal. And that's when you read that they laid their hands on the animal's head, that ram's head. Okay? They laid their hands on the head of that animal that was to be sacrificed. By placing their hands on that animal's head, symbolize the animal taking on those sins and that animal was going to suffer the punishment that should have rightfully been distributed onto that person, the sinful person. Sin offerings, in addition to burnt offerings, were given to God daily. However, once a year, the high priest was going to go into the most holy place to make atonement on behalf of themselves, their families, and the entire nation of Israel. But thank God, Jesus eradicated the animal sacrificial system, which only dealt with the flesh and not the conscious of sinful man. Those animals dealt with the flesh, but not really what was going on in here and definitely not what was going on in with the heart. Jesus eradicated all of that. He was the greatest sacrifice ever given for mankind. His sacrifice was a one-time occurrence. It wasn't repeated daily. He didn't go up on the cross every day. 
one and done. If you think of it, if you don't remember anything else, one and done. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 15, I can't read, I don't have time, was awesome that spoke into this. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we move into Exodus chapter 31, and God introduces us to his craftsmen who he appointed. And he also has to give them and us a reminder about the Sabbath. The building of God's tabernacle, its furnishings, making of the anointing oils, the incense, the priestly garments, that was a big undertaking. Jehovah Jireh was able to provide not only the physical materials, but individuals filled with his spirit to carry out this endeavor. These names, just bear with me. He appointed Bezalel from the tribe of Judah. And guess what? His grandfather was her. That's the same her who held up Moses' arms as the Israelites fought the Amalekites in battle. And then he also appointed Ahiulab of the tribe of Dan. These were the two men he pointed out like you. I'm tagging you, and I'm tagging you. You're it. Time to get going. Time to do your work for me. It's time. I couldn't help but think of HGTV. I don't know if there's any HGTV watchers in here, Property Brothers, all of it. I like all of it. They have all these designs. They had nothing on these two guys, though. I'm telling you, they had nothing on them. Godly knowledge was needed to successfully complete this assignment. Our God-appointed assignments provides us with opportunities to rely on his spiritual wisdom and his spiritual resources. We must not rely solely on earthly wisdom. And we know that wisdom is found in his word and by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside. And that enables us to obey and apply what he has instructed us to do. Again, God reminds Moses to advise the Israelites to keep the Sabbath. We got all this construction going on, building, sewing, carrying things, anointing, washing, cleaning. We're doing it all, but I need you to rest. The Israelites were to keep the Sabbath in order that they would remember God, who brought them out of Egypt and sanctified them. Moses receives the two tablets of the testimony, which had all the words that God had written as instructions for the Israelites. What an awesome reminder to us that we are to remember the one who delivered us from our Egypt situations. Some of us may still be in them, and that's okay. It's okay. 
But in spite of these Egypt situations that we've encountered and maybe have been delivered from, he set us apart as a royal priesthood. May we all take advantage of opportunities to minister and build to bring glory to our God. And I'll just close this out in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to sit at your feet this evening. We thank you for the lessons learned. We thank you for the one and done of your son, Jesus Christ. Touch your daughters now as we get ready to leave, Father God, and just help us to be encouraged, knowing that you love us and that you are glorious in everything you say, think, and do, that you are detail-oriented even when it comes to our lives. Thank you for your cornerstone and your son, Jesus Christ. May your spirit continue to go with us and keep us always. In Jesus' name, amen.